0: So tonight, um, we're going to be talking about uh, a theology of work. Yeah, you, heard, you heard me right. Theology of work. Hold on one second. Sometimes those lids are extremely tight. A theology of work. It's something um, I actually had another uh, sermon I was uh, preparing and uh, when I knew I was going to be preaching tonight and teaching tonight. But earlier this week, um, this this has been something that's just been on my heart, and I just it came back into my mind again. And as I was going over Genesis one and Genesis two, I thought it would just be a really edifying and encouraging uh, message for us tonight. The vast majority, all of us, work in some capacity. Um, Even if you're retired, you're working at home doing something. Uh, Ministries work. We have the marketplace being work. And, um, um, and so I want to talk about that theology of work. What, that, what, what, is, what does uh, work and God have to do with each other? And so we're going to just look at the, the main text we're going we're to start with is, is Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, <clears throat> I don't know. Um, I've been in church my, basically my entire life. And I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on work. Um, it's not one that usually you pull out of the scriptures and you talk about how work is godly and whatnot. Um, usually work is not the, the thing that we're all jazzed up about, right? That's not usually the thing we're wanting to be focusing on, thinking about, or whatnot. We tend to be wanting to focus and think about getting off of work, going on vacation, retiring. Amen? Anybody? Um, but work is uh, is is a gift that God has given to us, and more than a gift, as we're going to see. Uh, as I was going through this, I was reminded of um, my son uh, when he was younger, Noah. He's our eight-year-old. A few years ago, my wife was putting him to bed, and she was tucking him in. And as she was tucking him in, uh, he he says to her, "Mom, I don't want to be a kid anymore. I want to be an adult." And she's like, no, oh son, you know, cute. No, son, you don't want to be an adult. And adults, they have to cook, they clean, they work, they have to be responsible. And he chimes up, he pops in, no, no, mom, not not an adult like you, an adult like dad. That hurt me right there. <laughs> <clears throat> You know the in and you know the responsible and being in, in working and whatnot we many Christians when we talk about work, we spend a great t- deal of time working, but we don 't spend a great deal of time realizing how our work in, intersects with our faith. If you may be a CEO, an owner of your own company, a teacher, stay at home mom, we majority of our lives we spend. Working and we spend uh, uh, in the business sector of some uh, some in some capacity, but most of the time we compartmentalize our faith to Sunday mornings or to Wednesday nights or to church services or to devotional times um, or or whatnot, and we have these little. compartments in our lives uh, and work goes into one compartment and then like our spiritual life and God goes into another compartment but scripture makes no no division between the secular and the sacred in fact I would even venture to say that that there is no such thing as secular work for the Christian because the Christian is a kingdom reality and whatever the Christian does is a kingdom effect amen and 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 so I would even say that that not only does scripture not make a division between secular work and ministry work or godly work, but that there, there really is no such thing as secular work or ministry work and godly work for the believer. God gives us our work, talents, and skills so that through them we might worship him. Now, you might never have considered that before. My work being worship, worship and, and, and work going together. Let's look at the normal day for maybe the average Christian, right? Christian man gets up, crack of dawn, makes his coffee, maybe spends a little time in devotions, 15, 20 minutes as a devotional, quiet time with the Lord. Then he gets dressed. Then he goes to work, and as he's driving to work, you know, there's an aggressive driver. How many have been seen aggressive drivers and they're trying to cut in front of you? Not very fun, is it? But he makes a way for that guy to get through and just let him go. The guy's obviously in a rush somewhere gets to work, and he pulls into the parking lot, and on his way over to the office, he sees trash on the ground, and he decides to pick it up and throw the trash away, walks in, and begins his work day, and he begins, you know, with making phone calls and doing the sales and closing deals and doing what he does in his job. Then he comes home that that day, and he gets to see his wife and his kids, and he helps, you know, uh, uh, he eats dinner, then he helps with uh, uh, cleaning up and taking care of the kitchen, helping put the kids to bed, wiping some poopy diapers and brushing teeth and getting those kids in bed, kisses the wife and falls down ready to go to sleep. How many can sort of relate with something like that? It might be an average work day and you think, well, where did he worship at? Where was his worship time and where was he worshiping? Many times we would look at, well, the devotional time, that, that tw- 15 to 20 minute time that he spent with the lord in the in the morning that was his worship time and the rest was just normal time whatever that is but i would argue that his entire day was worship to the lord and that and that's what we're going to be looking at here in our scriptures in genesis chapter 1 and genesis chapter 2 <clears throat> i'm going i'm going to uh, uh, essentially argue that work is a higher good that we are created to experience in this age and the next Work is actually not a part of the curse, but work is part of the blessing that God has given us as human beings. From the smallest act that's done without anybody ever seen, to the greatest accomplishment where we get accolades from all, all sorts of people, uh, all, uh, many of these things glorify God, and when we make, uh, uh, and God is glorified and he is made known, excuse me, he's glorified and made known in the environments that we add our strength and our portion to. Now, I want to make some definition clarity here. Most of the time when we think about work, what do we think about? We think about the 9 to 5, right? Or the 8 to 10 hour span in that day where we're off doing stuff, correct? Does anybody work here? Am I like talking to (laughs) non-workers? Does anybody, anybody have a job in this place? Okay, that's who I'm talking to right now. All right, so that's what we usually think of work, right, is that 9 to 5 and 8 to 10 hour period in the day by which we subject ourselves, right, we have to do it so we can get a wage, right, get some payment, so we could do the things that we were really created for. This is how we oftentimes view work and what I think the average person thinks of work. We have to do the grueling tasks so we can get the wages so we can end up doing the things we like to do or the things that we were created to do, which, which is rest, relaxation, delight, enjoyment, freedom, Right? right, get the paycheck so we could have better vacations or we have more free time, right? <clears throat> and I would say this, is that also most Christians view work as a curse that we've inherited because of the fall and that Jesus has come so we could have a perpetual vacation in the afterlife. Now, we don't really put it in those terms, but honestly, if we take a, take a tally of our own hearts, I think a lot of us would say, actually, that's sort of in line with what I, what I thought, we sort of work and gruel for 70 years, die, and then we go to perpetual vacation forever. It's just going to be on the hammocks, clouds, whatever it looks like, but it's just going to be vacation, Maui, Hawaii, you name it. That's, that's gonna, it's going to look like that, right? Paradise. <clears throat> but again, that is not the definition, the biblical definition of work. See, work was not an effect of the fall. It, there we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. it says that what? God placed Adam, the first man, He placed him in the Garden of Eden, and he was to what? Work it. This was before the fall. This was before they took that, that uh, fruit, and before the curse uh, came on the earth. God created man to work his, his earth. And so work was not an effect of the fall, but work is a manifested expression of the nature of God. I don't believe that. <laughs> you don't know my work. <laughs> no, but really. Biblically speaking, work is the manifest, manifested expression of the nature of God. It's a gift God has given to us. You see, we are image bearers, correct? Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is what separates us from all of creation, according to the Genesis record, is that God created us uniquely in his image. He gave life and gave living form to all the creatures of the earth. They become living beings. And, and he breathes his life into them. But only mankind, male and female, are made in God's image. So what does an image of God, what does it mean to be an image or in the likeness of God? That's the question we should ask. What does that mean? What does it look like to be an image of God? You see, to be an image of God is to be an accurate representation of something. Think of the mirror, right? You look in the mirror, you see not yourself, but you see an image of yourself. Correct? That is an image. It's a perfect reflection of, of the one standing in front of the mirror. So what does it mean to be an accurate representation of God? Because that's what he's created us to be. He made us in his image. We can't see God. So how do we represent him? In first John chapter four, he's in verse 12. He says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. No one has seen God at any time, but the, but John says that God is seen when we love one another. That love is not just having good feelings in our heart; it's an expressed love. It's a love that is shown forth. It's a it's not love as a verb. It's love as a, I'm sorry. It's not love as a noun. It's love as a verb. If you grew up in the, in the 90s, you might know that DC Talk song, Love is a Verb. Anybody here grew up in the 90s as a Christian besides me? Okay. <laughs> love is a verb. <clears throat> and that's what John says. He says, no one has seen God at any time. We, can't see, we cannot see God. But God is seen when we express his character and his nature to another being. And John uses love. He says, when we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. You see, by expressing his nature and qualities to, to the area that God has given us influence, I like to call that our domain. When we express God's nature and qualities to our domain, we are actually representing God or we are showing forth God. We're becoming an image bearer or ref, a good reflection of who God is. You see, the glory of God is seen in the people that manifest God's character. The glory of God is manifested. The glory of God, I'm sorry, is seen in the people that manifest God's character. How many want to see the glory of God? I want to see the glory of God. Scripture tells us the glory of God is seen through, through the, our, the when we manifest his character. <clears throat> God is a generous God. And so when we act generously, guess what? We are representing him. We are reflecting his nature. And that brings us joy and fulfillment because that's what he's created us to do. When we forgive somebody, there's power in forgiveness. Amen. If you've ever had an offense and a grudge or hurt and you were able to let that go in forgiveness, it brings life, doesn't it, to you? It's just this it's something that brings fulfillment, life, your, the bondages of, of offense and, and uh, hurts and pains, all of a sudden are broken off. Why? Because that is a, the nature of God. He's a merciful God. And when we express that, there's power in it. <clears throat> so what was God doing before he created his image bearers? Because that's important, right? We, we, if we can't see God with our eyes... We can look at scripture, and that's what the scripture is actually for. It's to teach us and to show us who God is. And when we see who God is, it, 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 uh, it informs who we are and our purpose. So what was God doing when he created his image bearers? What is the picture of God we have before Adam was made? So we're going to just look at pages one and two of the Bible, the very beginning of this uh, of this entire story. We're going to look at what how the Bible describes God. Now in these two, these two pages, these two chapters, chapters one and two, we get two creation narratives, All right? There's, there's two creation narratives. It's one story, but two narratives. And, and uh, um, the vast majority of theologians and, and those in commentaries, those who, you know, you read the commentaries will say, when you read Genesis one, all the way up to chapter two, verse uh, three, it's a clear narrative. And then at verse four of chapter two, Uh, It's it's the same story, but the narrative completely changes. And so we're going to look at these two narratives to see how this can inform us about work and about creativity and about us being uh, image bearers of God made in his image. So the first narrative we're going to look at is in chapter one, and this focuses on God and who he is and what he does. And then the other narrative that we're going to look at, starting in chapter two, verse four, focuses on the humans, Adam and Eve. And their purpose. And in both of these narratives, we'll see that that work is not a curse, but an honor that God has given us to glorify him and bless others. So are you ready? Good. So let's let's just go to to the very first chapter of Genesis, very verse first. We're going to look at the creation narrative that focuses on who God is and what he does. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. So here we have the setting and its description. The setting of this narrative starts where every good story is going to start, in the beginning, right? And what happens in the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth, so there's our setting, and then he gives us a description of what that setting looks like, right? The setting looks like it's without form, it's void, it's empty, there's darkness, there's this face of the deep, deep can be very scary, right? And so what does this look like? How does it start? How does this narrative start? Does it start good with a happy face or does it start maybe bad and a little, oh, a little crazy? Maybe it starts neither. Maybe it's just just the setting. It may not be good or bad, but it's a setting, and it does seem a little bit like void, empty darkness. Who wants to be in that type of place? So let's look at what happens and what the solution is to that type of place. And the rest of the narrative in Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 3, God begins to bring order, and he begins to bring formation, and he begins to bring life into the this earth into this heaven and earth that he created and it continues on to describe who and what this God does this God that we find in Genesis chapter 1 and we'll find this that whatever God does will give us a insight into who he is because he only does what he is he doesn't do anything as contrary to his nature so we see him do something we we could actually look into that and say oh that's That's a quality of God. And so what does he do? He begins to take those things that are in chaos, disorder, and lifeless, and he begins to bring beauty to it. He creates light and darkness. He creates the sun and the moon. He creates sunrises. He creates the day when the sun's up high and it's a blue sky and it's, you know, the the puffy white clouds. He creates the sunset. He makes something beautiful. This last week, we uh, had a little time in Florida, and while we were there, we saw uh, the first night there. We're on uh, on the bay, and we see this beautiful, one of the most stunning sunsets I, I think I've ever seen. I just sat there for about an hour and just gazed. I just was like, everyone was quiet, just watch. It was beautiful. And that's what God does. That's what he did. He took chaos, darkness, and he creates something that makes it beautiful where it's stunning. And I got to sit there and just enjoy it. Then he brings order by, by which things can function and grow. So he brings us like time into order. And he brings day and evening. And day and evening becomes our time, doesn't it? And in that time, what happens? In time, things grow, don't they? They increase. They increase. Right, and he creates this order. He takes a chaos and lifeless area, and he and he makes it have order, and it can, so it could can, can, can function and bring growth. He blesses his creation. He creates the birds and the, the fish and the, all this all the land creatures, and he blesses them. And the word blessing literally just means he makes them happy. That's what blessing means—to make happy or to be en- to make envious, to make others envious because you're being blessed. He blesses his creation by giving it the freedom to be fruitful and multiply. What's this say about this God who's working, right? At each end of the day, what does it say? Seven times throughout this first chapter, it says, and God saw that it was good. What's that say about our God? He's good. And everything he touches turns beautiful, life-giving, delightful, enjoyable, right? That's what it's showing about who this God is, who our God is. This first chapter focuses on giving us insight about God. Now the next entire, the entire text is, I'm sorry, the entire text is focused on what God's, and, and which, I'm sorry, the entire text is focused on what God does, which reflects who he is, which I said earlier. Now the second chapter in chapter two, if you flip on over to chapter two with me, gives us another perspective. So this whole first chapter, we get to just see God at work. God is not a vacationing God. God is a God who works, but is also always in rest while he works. And this is what he's called us to. And so even as I speak on a theology of work, some of you in here might uh, might have that title, workaholic, this is not a, this, this, uh, this teaching is not a license to be a workaholic. But then there's other of us in here who actually really despise work and really hate work. And maybe you have a little title, you would never say it, but maybe somebody who knows you, lazy, right? Doesn't like to work. This is a, 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 a teaching that can show you the purpose so we could have this, there's nothing wrong with resting, correct? We're called to rest, We're called to enjoyment, we're called for pleasure, amen? But we're also called to work, and those things actually don't contradict each other in God. And neither should they contradict each other in the believer. Jesus says this, my yoke is easy and my burden is what? Light. Which means this, he has a yoke and he has a burden. But it's easy and it's light. There's rest in it. This can only happen, church, this can only happen in the kingdom of God. Outside of Christ, you can't have both work and rest coexist together in everything that you do. But in the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter your occupation. It doesn't matter the stress of the job or the intensity of the job or the non-intensiveness of the job. We could have both a good work ethic and rest at the same time expressing the image of God. And so let's look at this second chapter real quick. You guys okay? All right. So let's look starting at verse 4 because that's where the, the narrative for the second chapter, I'm, I'm sorry, the, second, the beginning of the second narrative begins. <clears throat> so we're going to get another setting and another description. So chapter 2, verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And so again, here we have this setting and this description. The setting is again is the heavens, and the earth, they are made, but what does the earth look like? It says that there's no plants on the field. There's no, no shrubbery. There's nothing. It looks barren. I just could picture, it, it sort of paints a picture of a, 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 a desert type of look, a, just a barrenness. There's no plants. And why does it say there's no plants? It says there's no plants. Well, it says there's no rain at this moment. Um, but then it does say actually there is water and there's a mist that comes up from the ground and it actually is watering the whole face of the ground. So that's actually not the main reason why there's no plants because there's not a lot of rain falling. But he says there's no man to till the ground. There was no man and no person, when it says man, it's just not talking about a gender, mankind, to actually work the ground to bring the beauty. So verse five tells us why it's barren, and then we get this solution in verse verse seven. Look at verse uh, uh, seven with me. It says, "The Lord God formed the man of the uh, man, uh, Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being." And so God makes that there was no man, so He makes the man because there was a problem, or it just wasn't that good, and that. It was just barren. So he makes the man, and then he makes a garden. So God's the first one to actually make this garden. And remember what a garden is. A garden is taking something, and you bring cemetery, c- symmetry to it. You bring order to it. How many in here are gardeners? Anybody likes to garden? And what do you have to do? You go, and you make rows, and you make, you make uh, 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 I don't know, other things. I don't know. I'm not actually a great gardener. I have been in great gardens, though. And what I know is about great gardens is that they're beautiful. They're enjoyable, they're relaxing. Why? There's an order to it. There's a beauty to it. There's life, right? Right? If you took, if you took a, um, wild strawberries, found wild strawberries out in the, in the wild, if you ever found those, uh, you could find some and you, you find they'd probably be small and they'd probably not be that great. But you get somebody to garden and someone knows how to garden and they could garden uh, and they plant strawberries and they know what they're doing they could have juicy, ripe, really lush strawberries. Why is that? Because God has created in his nature, he's created us in his image. That's what God does to things he touches. And he makes us in his image. And when we touch things and bring life in order to it, and we bring uh, uh, beauty to it, or we bring benefit to it and to those around us, we're expressing the image of God. And so he makes that garden, and I notice he makes the garden after he makes Adam. So I imagine he makes Adam. And then he says, him, Adam's looking around. It's like, wow, this place is barren. Wow, it's like dust. Wow, is this, what are we doing? Scott's like, hold on. He makes this beautiful garden. And then he comes and grabs Adam says, here, here you go. And Adam's like, wow, this is awesome. This is great. And the, the, the couple later, those verses just begin to describe what was in the garden. It's like all the trees are just all for his consumption, all the vegetation. It's beautiful. There's rivers and water running through it. I mean, it's quiet streams. And that's what it describes to us, this garden. And Adam's looking at all of that. And this is what God tells him to do. This is our, the main scripture we start in. He says he puts him in Eden, puts him in that garden and says, now, Adam, man, he says, I want you to work this and to keep it. I want you to cultivate it. And then he goes on to blessing him and Eve and saying, I want want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to subdue the entire planet and I want you to have dominion over it all. And what does he want him to do? He wants them to expand the beauty. He wants them to bring life to everything that they're touching. In other words, God's First instructions to the man is to reflect and represent him towards his creation. To work, tend, keep, cultivate, make good that which he has placed before him. When God tells him, he says, I want you to subdue and I want you to have dominion over every living thing on the earth. Now, dominion is not usually a word that we are like, we like a lot, right? Have dominion, right? Dominion seems to be like, Overcome and conquer, and usually how we see dominion is like, is like overcome and conquer people and use it for your advantage or use whatever to your advantage. But that is not how God, how God does dominion. God is a king, amen? And he has a dominion, right? And what do we see in Genesis chapter 1? How does he treat the thing that he has rulership and authority over? He brings life to it, doesn't he? He brings blessing to it, doesn't he? He brings joy to it, doesn't he? Do you follow me? So the dominion that God tells man to do is go do what I do. Do the qualities, have the qualities of dominion that I do. Bring life to everything that you have authority over. Bring goodness, bring order, bring, bring health to all those things that you have dominion over order, over. So this dominion looks like, it looks like a rulership that brings life, blessing, growth, beauty, joy, rest, and fulfillment. It's a rulership that reflects generosity, goodness, kindness, gentleness, love, joy, peace. Does that ring a bell? It's the the character of God, isn't it? It's the fruits of the Spirit. And that's what we can see if we look at Genesis chapter 1, how God takes this dark, deep, chaotic craziness and makes it awesome and life-giving to where we enjoy it. And then he says, mankind, I want you to do this. when, I, when I, I forgot I forgot to, to mention this but but Adam and Eve they're the characters in the story but they're more than the characters of the story they're a representation of you and me Adam actually the word Adam is the Hebrew word for human and so when it says man or it says Adam in Hebrew that's actually human and we have it as the first name of have Adam, but that's what Adam means. It means human. And so when he talks about these characters in this story, he's really talking about you and me. He's not just talking about some guys long, 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 long time ago, this, the first couple, our first parents or something. It's talking about us and our identity and our purpose. And so here we see that Adam, the first man, is going to take the raw materials of the earth and develop them for the glory of God and the benefits of other humans. And so, here we have, this goes into, it. say, how does this work in my, in my, uh, how does this work in my job? I don't, I don't understand. You see, a contractor, what do they do? They take the raw materials of the earth, right? They take stone and, and gravel and whatever, lumber and all of those type of things, steel, and they begin to build amazing buildings that we could sit inside, we could have air conditioning, and out from the sun, be amplified sound, have a, have a fantastic time in here, Right? Look at that contractor did. He just took the raw materials that God has given to us and made something great. Right. An artist takes the raw materials of paint and colors and has dominion over it and does what he, what he wants to do with. And he makes it something where we pay money and we put it up on our wall and we gaze at it and say, wow, that's super enjoyable. Lawyers take principles of justice and codify them into laws that benefit society. You see, this is in all of our, in all of our uh, um, areas of influence. Every area and every occupation and, uh, uh, really takes on the form of what God gave to us back in the garden. Taking, what he, taking the, the fundamentals and the, the basic principles of things and making them amazing. And I want to go into uh, uh, something about male and female here, about expressing God's image and work, because chapter 2 begins to, to describe about me, both male and female. And, and this is, as I was going over this, it was just for me, it was invigorating and, and it was insightful. You see, in this in this second narrative, Adam, the first man, is not to do it alone. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good. That's the first time where it says not good. Everywhere else so far has all been what? Good. Everything's been good, 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 good. Oh, this is awesome. And now the first time we get to see, we see all of a sudden God says, wait, this part's not good. That man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then God brings all the animals. This is interesting. And then what God does is he, uh, he takes all the animals and he brings them to Adam and he begins, He tells Adam, "I want you to name them." And na- Adam names all the animals, and that was really awesome. But then it says that there was no suitable helper for Adam, and then it goes into the description of how God creates Eve. And so what we see here is it's not good that that man, that Adam, or the gender of male, like put it that way, that he alone reflects the image of God. The woman completes the image and reflection of God on the earth. See, she is to be a helper in the sense of manifesting the reflection of God on the earth by subduing, multiplying, having dominion together with man. You see, woman is not created to be a glorified assistant to man. The word helper here is not pointing to to be a helper to man do his job. It's helper for man to, to reflect the image of God. God looks at man, at Adam, and says, you're reflecting my image, but it's not fully being reflected. I need to make another gender. And it's gonna, he, she's going to help you reflect my image. She's going to help you be my image bearer. And he makes Eve, and that's why. And they become a partner in reflecting who God is. It's interesting that Eve, the name Eve in Hebrew means Life. And so she's a life giver, and it's interesting to me that this story that God places this, this uh, issue of hey it's this not this thing that's not good that there's there's not a, there's more there's more of me that needs to be expressed, and Adam you're not fully doing it, and then God places does this you know there's this little story of all of a sudden Adam naming animals. You see what Adam does is Adam. He partners with God, God creates the animals, God brings the animals, and then God gives Adam the the honor and the blessing to bring identity to the animals. He names them, and that's what a name does, it brings identity, doesn't it? You know me by Gabe? That's my, my name is my identity. If you say, hey, uh, Gabe Palmer, the guy with eight kids, because that's how I'm known, the guy with eight kids, oh, you know who that is, right? It identifies me. And so God... Brings, uh, uh, brings uh, the animals to Adam and he gives Adam, he gives mankind and he gives man the blessed, blessedness of bringing identity to the creatures. And then he creates Eve, who's a life giver. And we could obviously th- see that because women do a great job of childbearing, producing more and more kids, more and more people. And so we see here that the focus, uh, uh, that Adam's first expression of God is to name those animals, bringing identity. And then God brings Eve. And when he brings Eve, she's a life giver. And these two join together and they bring life and purpose and meaning to the rest of creation. Do you see it? Adam brings meaning to the animals by giving them names, identity. And then Eve brings life, and together they bring life and purpose and identity to the rest of the world. That is what we're, that's our calling, folks, is to bring life and purpose to the rest of this world. This world makes absolutely no sense if we don't exist. That's our calling. That's how we reflect who God is. And that happens in a million different ways in all of our occupations and all of our uh, 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 duties and all the things we do, even in our creative expressions. And so Adam, uh, um, and so we have both male and female expressing who God is, and I think that's important because many times we can see, and I think in in, in Christianity we've sort of had this thing: oh, the female is to be the helper to the man. In other words, she's sort like, of like the crutch because the man couldn't get along too well. So get it Eve. Now they could both sort of do well. That's not what it's saying. He's saying is that both male and female. Fully express and working together together, fully express the image of God. And so I want us to look here. This is interesting. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Our main text again, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That root word, work, the root word in Hebrew is this, we're doing a lot of Hebrew, aren't we, tonight? But the root word in Hebrew that is translated to work, it is it is Abod. Say that with me, Abad. Abad, it's almost spelled like abad, but abad, which is the same root word meaning translated to worship. In fact, there's almost a dozen times in the scripture where this word is translated as worship. Work as worship. And so God, there's, a, there's actually a worshipfulness that happens and God receives worship as we express his image in all the things we place our hands to. Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who's called by my name and whom I've created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. See, we were created to glorify God. And the primary way we glorify him is through how we view and do life outside the four walls of the church. The vast majority of your life and my life is not in this building, nor is it together. But where is it? It's outside these four walls. It's in our homes and it's it's in our society, isn't it? God created us to glorify him. And guess where we get to glorify him the most? In our homes and in our society. And then we get to come here and do a little bit of that together too. And get to encourage one another and spur one another on and sharpen one another. For what? To bring him glory outside these four walls. See, we often have a one-dimensional view of worship. And usually our, dimension, our, view, of dimension, uh, our view of worship is, is singing songs. Maybe raising hands, and if we get a little crazy, we might, you know, do a little one-two, walk back and forth. And that's like our worship, right? That's a very one-dimensional view of worship. God has a much grander view of worship. He says, I created you. Your being is a worship to me. It is, it is something that brings glory to me when you walk in reconciliation, and when you walk restored and walk in the fullness of who I created you to be. See, work is worship when you fulfill God's purpose for creation. You prepare and develop the earth for the benefit of humans and the glory of God. When we are benefiting others and using our talents and giftings and abilities that God has given to us to benefit others and and, and bring glory to God, we are in fact living worshipers. Let's now turn to Colossians chapter 3. You guys still with me? Did I lose you yet? Good. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and verse 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, you work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Who is he speaking to? Us. He's speaking to Christians. You see, when we get saved, we give everything to the Lord, right? That's what, that's what when we come born again, our allegiance is now to the Lord. What are we to do? He says we're to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Doesn't really leave anything out, does it? With everything, we are to love him. The, even in our work, even in our occupation. And this also goes in place... I'm not talking about only getting a wage. I'm also talking if you're a stay-at-home mom. Because actually, stay-at-home moms, I know this firsthand, work more than all of us put together. Because their jobs never end. They never get to time off. <laughs> they never get to go leave work, right? <clears throat> Sometimes if dad comes home and he can do it. <clears throat> but this is for anybody that places their hand to anything. This is for all of us. And so here we see in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, he says, whatever you do, you work heartily. Whatever you do. So this goes beyond the nine to five. Anything we do, if you clean the house, if you wash your car. those who do drawings, paintings, write stories, write books, write whatever. Anything that we do that helps bring order and life. We had just purchased a house recently, and uh, that house uh, hadn't been lived in for like eight months. And so over the last eight months, you know what you do? you know what happens if you leave something? unattain or uh, uh, not, you know, not taken care of, what begins to happen to it? It begins to deteriorate, doesn't it? It begins to fall apart. And so I've had to go in and, and I've had to cut down shrubbery and I have to like do a bunch of uh, uh, yard work. We've had to go in and replace some of the wood because it started to rot. Why? Because there was no man to take care of it. No human. Do you follow me? And when there was no human to take care of it, What happens? It goes back to that chaos, darkness. Do you follow me? And even so, as I'm taking out that little rotted wood by the front door and I'm placing a new piece of wood and I'm painting it and getting it all, I'm actually expressing the image of God. It's the glory and the honor that he has crowned us with. Making things beautiful making things beneficial, making things workable, right? Do you follow me? So, it's not just, he says, whatever you do, you work heartily. Everything we do, even changing a baby's diaper. Amen, mothers. What happens if you don't change a baby's diaper? It gets bad. So, you gotta change it, right? <clears throat> so, anything any of this type of stuff, maintaining our homes. I was sitting in the, in the office the other day with Alicia, and I was looking, and we were talking about this a little bit. And as I, I was looking around, and I was just saying, you know, like this whole room, right? In this room, you know, it used to be a, basically a storage, and, and now it's a little counseling center, so we have some nice couches in there, some nice lanterns, it's painted nice, nice picture, a little coffee table stands, and then a little vase, a little flowers. I think This room, somebody came in here and exercised their God-given honor and glory to bring life and order and beauty. Now we're sitting here having a nice conversation, it's just really enjoyable. Right? If no one went in and do that, it was just a Storage place, stuff stuffed in there. I guess what? We would not be sitting in there having a nice conversation. (laughs) Why? Because it would not be nice, would it? But somebody comes and they just, somebody made the furniture. Somebody makes the vase and we get to benefit from that. Do you see? Everything we place our hands to, God has given to us to reflect him. So whatever you do, we work heartily with all of our heart, with Joy. I used to not like housework, but I tell you what, as I've been going over this and it's been getting in me, I've been like, I'm ready to do kingdom work. I'm mowing the lawn. I'm ready to do kingdom work. I'm washing the car. I'm going to build up this thing. And I tell you what, I'm finding, I'm like, wow, it is amazing. If I wasn't doing this, this would just go wild. It would be, our neighbors would complain. <laughs> it would not bring our neighbor. We couldn't bring benefit to them. And they'd be like, oh, that's an eyesore. But because I'm expressing the image of God and I'm putting my hand to it, working heartily with Thanksgiving, like, God, thank you for this ability to do this. We, as the humankind, are only species that are able to do this type of thing, folks. And we do it, it's like, wow, look at that. It's beauty. It's beautiful. <clears throat> Whatever you do, work heartily. In the second part of verse 23, he says, As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So now, as believers, because we've given everything to Christ, no longer us who live, but who? He that lives in us. We no longer work primarily for a wage. We work primarily to bring him glory. That's our calling. Yes, we get wages, but you see, before Christ, that would be our primary goal. Get the wage so I could do the thing that I really think I'm created to do, which is relax and enjoy life, right? And we, and we totally miss it. And he's like, actually, there's real enjoyment if you could see that you're an image bearer of me. And that when you place your hand to this, you do it unto me, and it brings me glory. And he says, this is what we're really created for. Do it unto me, not for men, knowing that the Lord will receive I'm, uh, uh, I'm sorry, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Folks, as we work heartily as unto the Lord, he's actually going to reward us in a much greater way than our paychecks ever will. I don't know how this works, but the, the, the whole you know, system the, the ecosystem of the kingdom of God is so generous and so good, it's crazy. He says, if you give a cup of cold water to a child... He said, Surely you have a reward? You guys have, no, you guys have any idea how many rewards I'm getting? <laughs> I'm like, My kids ask for a drink. I'm like, Yeah, yep, here you go. Who else? Yeah, I'm getting rewards. Why? Because I'm bringing benefit to them. Do you follow me? He says, I'm gonna reward you greatly just because you're my image bearer, just because of who you are. And as you operate in who you are and do what you do, he says it's gonna bring me glory. Says, it brings me glory, I'm stacking up rewards for you, and you're getting a paycheck in heaven. And that's gonna be a nice reward. And you're gonna be thinking, what? I didn't do anything. I just I just was faithful to my job. I was just faithful to, to not cheat, or I, I forgave, you know, the person that was rude to me, or 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 I forgave the person who ripped me off and whatever. And he's like, Yeah, you Do you look at me? He's like, look at me. Look what all I've done. I've given you the honor and the glory to be like me. And guess what? You get to have everything I have. Guys, we got such a great deal. In verse 24, you see, the focus of our work is to be reflecting the glory and the worthiness of God. He says, you are serving the Lord Christ. You see, Christians should be the most excellent in their work and attitude, whether anyone sees them or not. C.S. Lewis once noted, he said, how valleys undiscovered by human eyes are still filled with beautiful flowers. And he goes on to ask, who did God create that beauty for if no human eye has ever seen it? And his answer was that God does some things only for his own pleasure. He sees even when no one else does. You see, when we do, when we pick up, you know, I mentioned the first guy, you know, uh, sort of the typical day, the guy that... Sees the piece of trash on the ground. He could easily just walk by. He picks it up and throws it, throws it away. God sees it. Nobody else sees it. God sees it. God says, hey, here's my image bearer. He's taking what was sort of like getting messy and he's making it nice. That's my guy. He looks like me. That's what I do. You see, the worldly man thinks about material wealth this way. He thinks, after I meet all my needs, how can I use my money to bring me more comfort, entertainment, pleasure, and prestige? But the servant of God thinks about money this way. He says, after I meet all my needs, how can I use my money to bring my master more comfort, pleasure, and prestige? Do you see the difference? One works with primary goal for money, the other works primary goal for glorifying God and all that he does. You see, when others see us work or they see our work uh, when the others see us work or they see our work and they see where our hand have been placed to, they're seeing a reflection of God's heart and God's character. Are they being touched by our presence because we're manifesting the glory of God? That's the question we should be asking ourselves every day. God, am I reflecting you rightly? God, do people, after they see me, they see my work or they encounter me, do they see something different than what they would see in someone who does not have Christ. Worship is more than a song or a service. The primary we, way God has ordained us to worship and honor him is in our capabilities to bring life, order, peace, benefit, and growth to those things that are around us. This is the primary way. Most of us are going to spend, most of us spend our lives, the majority of our lives, in our homes and our societies. And God has created you and created me to be his image bearers that bring him Glory. Now, I've just said, I've made this on a very practical level, and I haven't even touched, and I'm not going to have time tonight to even touch him, but I just want bring to this, bring this other reality out. Not only, because this is a gift that he's given every human being, right? You don't have to, there's, there's plenty of non-Christians that do some really awesome stuff and make the world a really nice place. Why? Because they're humans. They're made in his image. But when we receive Christ... Now we have a dominion and authority that's not just over material things, but also spiritual things. And now we can also not just make a benefit and a glory in the material world, but we can also change things in the atmosphere. We can bring peace where there is tension. We can bring joy where there is bitterness. We can bring life where there is death. Why? How? By being who God's called us to be. By operating, working heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Amen? You see, we need to be delivered from the American dream. And this is what the American dream is, and we're going to finish here. The American dream is this, is that I work to make a bunch of money so I could do what I want to do, pursue my happiness. We need to let go of that American dream and get a heavenly dream. A heavenly dream is an eternal dream. It's a dream set on eternity that we look actually to the rewards that we are going to be receiving. You see, not only in this life does God called us to work, but he calls us to work actually in the next life as well or in the, in the next age as well. And we see that. We don't have time to go through it, but I'm going to make mention of it. Just, just so you know that Jesus didn't die and rise again And deliver us just so we can have a perpetual vacation in the afterlife. But he tells us that we're going to rule and reign with him. What's that mean? Have dominion still. The same thing he gave to us in the garden, which he gives back to us through Christ, we're going to be continuing doing throughout all of eternity. Ruling and reigning with Christ. That means we're doing work, folks. We're going to be doing work. But guess what? The work's not going to be burdensome. The work's going to be joyous. Have you ever been to an orchestra or been to a to a, a play or to an art museum? When you go to those things, people are working, aren't they? But what's happening? It's so joyful and so good. With creativity is happening, expression is happening, guys. This is what this is. This is a taste of what God has for us. He's gonna He's gonna be spicing it up with a lot of His glory. We're, we see in a veil now, but then we're gonna see face to face. And I tell you what, we're gonna be looking back and saying. Holy cow, I had no idea that this life was way more than going to a church service and trying to get my little devotional time. I didn't know, I didn't know that it was all about my entire life was to bring you glory, everything that I touch and see. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Good word, brother. Amen. <clears throat> so I hope tonight that you could go home and tomorrow morning you wake up and whatever you do, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, or whether you, you're a CEO, you own your own company, or you go work for the man, or whatever you do. Or you work in ministry, or what we call ministry, where you work and do this type of stuff, pastoral ministry or whatnot, or prayer, interse- inter- intercessory prayer and intercession. Whatever we do, we could wake up with a, with a greater vision of why we exist, to bring God glory and in the small things the smallest things have meaning if we can if we will if we will give god thanks for if we can see it and the biggest things it's all purposeful it's all about expressing his image and his glory so father lord we thank you lord for making us in your image we thank you god that you have crowned us with glory and honor above all other creatures and all other creation and that you've set us lord to as 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 rulers to have dominion over this earth and have dominion even in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. And Lord, we ask God that, that, that you would give us your grace to see with new eyes tomorrow as we wake up and as we go throughout our day. Lord, we would see, Lord, that as we bring life and growth and order and and, and, and benefit to others and bring it, that it all brings glory to you. And Lord, we could worship you in our hearts throughout the day, bringing glory to you. And so, Father, we pray that you would, you would be glorified in our midst. And as we come back together in the next few days, God, we could come back and, and just begin to celebrate what you have done in our lives this last week. We love you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. amen. amen.